about all the exciting, amazing things I've done this week. But my week has mainly consisted of recording uh, stuff at home, which I suppose is exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to be able to share that with people at a later time. But it's not, like, super exciting in the grand scheme of things because I would be doing that anyways. Um, I went to the park. That was fun and exciting. Um, Oh! Actually, something unusual did happen. I found hand sanitizer at the shop. I know, I was shocked too. It was it was like one of the posh, super expensive ones. But I was like, you know what? £1.75 to have peace of mind after I accidentally like touch one of the poles on the bus or something is worth it to me. So that was thrilling honestly but apart from that you know obviously as is the case for many people all across the world nothing else happened but at least now we have this time together as we do every week and i think we're gonna have fun it's gonna be fine Recharging overnight, I awake beside you with bright eyes, slight sassy retorts when you ask me how I slept because, well, we both know that I probably didn't. I read tarot while you dress and write poems while you cook breakfast, and I never stop rotating between a routine of smiling and pouting in a way that makes you wonder what I'm thinking. I'm probably thinking about the pancakes you have yet to finish. You ask me how I am, and I am irresistibly indistinct, but it doesn't matter, my boyfriend with the blue brooding heart, because I am always here, sort of smiling, sort of pouting, eyes glowing just for you. I drop delirium onto your lips, and like a shark beseeched by blood to make it feel loved, you say yes in a fever. I make you a mixtape of Morrissey, Rick Astley and solo Brian Wilson as I send you links to Airbnbs in Tokyo, Tripoli and Tunbridge Wells, along with a copy of your birth chart and a song I wrote as you slept about our hearts going to the zoo to free the much harassed pandas. These are just things I do. Sometimes people are just chaotic and curious and sometimes, though they buzz around the world existing in an outlandish but inoffensive way, like feverish, excited fireflies, they find themselves in a net and then they consider whether it would be wild to just be comfortable, captured and cared for for a while. Maybe I am an adventure. A firefly, 
an invention of your imagination and you love me because the stars you think you see are seldom in the skies that appear to you so this means something else to you than you know what I was expecting but maybe I am just your scarce sweetheart that you love with all your heart and we aren't characters in a cautionary romantic comedy I'm smiling I am pouting, I am slowly going mad, but swallowing my absconding sanity so as not to distract from the journey that our director dictates you must take. I am smiling, I am pouting, existing solely in the part of you that longs for some unusual adventure. Plug me into the wall, kiss me good night, kiss me good night, kiss me good night and my eyes will glow and glow. I just wanted to say real quick, too disgusted of Tom Ridge Wells, if you're listening. I know you're going to be like, no, don't come here on holiday, you commoner peasants. But like, no one's coming on holiday to Tom Ridge Wells, sis. It doesn't matter that you have Airbnbs. It don't matter. Anyway, that, that, do you know what? That is a very British reference that I think a lot of people outside of the UK are not going to get. So I should really explain. Basically, uh, disgusted of Tom Ridge Wells is like, it's like a meme um like somebody who's traditionally very like conservative and traditional and they write into newspapers and stuff being all outraged and shit and so like the joke is disgusted of Tunbridge Wells like is like a really kind of stuffy annoying person who just gets outraged about everything anyway I kind of I was thinking you know holiday destinations you know because I was was like I've always wanted to go to Tokyo like my whole life and I always want to go there um and I wanted to just use a little alliteration so I threw in Tripoli I thought you know yeah why not and I couldn't think of another place and I just thought oh Tunbridge Wells and so it happened um anyway I <laughs> basically I was having a chat with one of my friends and we were talking about like relationships and stuff and Well, she offered up some honesty that I was not ready to hear. Uh, She said... (laughs) God. She said she thinks that the reason a lot of my relationships fail... Frankly, I didn't realise that was even a thing. Is because... I'm a manic pixie dream girl. Now, I I knew what that was. Because it's that thing from the films. You know, the girl who's, you know, kind of weird and, and, you know guys are interested in her because it's like oh we can go on adventures and she can show me how great life is and I can feel alive again and all that shit and then they get bored of her because well there's only so many adventures you can have and she served her purpose and so he just kind of moves on or she breaks up with him or something like that and the relationship just kind of runs its course and ends and she said well that's what happens to you and I'm like (laughs) fucking what okay okay where is your evidence for this and then she presented me with some pretty convincing evidence and I felt very red um and you know what maybe she has a point personally I wouldn't see myself as quirky which is a word she used to describe me I I don't even play the ukulele you know I thought that was a prerequisite to be quirky but apparently not these days 
Um, and she, you know, I was arguing this. I was saying, I'm not. What are you talking about? I'm just a regular person. She was like, you read tarot cards. You write poetry. You do this. You do that. And I'm like, these are just things I do. I'm not doing them on purpose to be some kind of Zoe Deschanel character. Like, damn. Anyways, so according to her, what happens to me is people see me as like, you know, somebody who's going to be adventurous and fun and, and take them out of themselves for a little bit. But then once they realize that I'm just a person and I'm not like some kind of thing that's going to fix what ails them, then the magic wears off and it all falls to bits. Now, now that she said that and I've thought about it, I think maybe she has a point because I looked back at the history of my relationships. Now, I must say, this does appear to be a very male thing because in my relationships with women, this doesn't seem to have happened. Um, <laughs> but in relationships with men, it does, you know. Um, and I, you know, and I look back at, you know, things that they've said to me, you know, the way that they've acted and things like that. And it, it does seem like maybe she has a point, you know. But right firstly at least now i'm owning it and i'm self-aware and secondly i feel like that says more about them than it does me i'm just saying so i'm not i'm gonna go take it as a criticism of me no more you know um <laughs> but i mean maybe maybe that is my life but it does kind of make me wonder you know relationships that I have you know now that I know this like this knowledge is damaging because I'm thinking well has anyone ever loved me for who I am and not what they think I am if that makes sense you know um you know does somebody look at me and see who I am and think, well, maybe she's a bit weird, but, I, you know, I love her because of all that she is. Or is it just they see some things and then they project this whole image that they've created in their heads and then when it turns out I am not that, that's when it dies, you know? And so now I'm thinking, and you know, and I'm, I'm overthinking everything. And I'm like, oh my God, has anyone ever loved me? Will anyone ever love me? But I don't have the answers to this. You know, I mean, I, I could do a, a quick reading about it, but I wouldn't want to be quirky. You know what? I took that part really personally. I, I really think I did. But yeah, so I thought I, I'm just, you know, going to explore it as an idea in writing, you know, and think about what that means. Can I ever separate myself from that and should I you know because you know as I said you know in the poem this is just things I do I'm not trying to project some kind of um image you know just like everybody I am who I am and it doesn't really make sense to change that because then nobody's gonna love me for who I am either because I'd be projecting a fake image and it's 
it's confusing because love is. And it's a great reason as to why I really quite would like telepathic powers because then I would know. And I could like hear their thoughts and be like, aha, so you, you do actually love me and this isn't, you know, some journey of self-discovery for you. I, I'm an, I'm, a, you know, I, we're, we're both the lead role here. You know, I'm not a supported character, you know, supporting character who will be like killed off at the end or will disappear and not return for the sequel. This, this, this is like, we're, we're both on top billing. Okay, great. Or I would know if the opposite is true. And that would be so fucking helpful. Because, I mean, to be fair, I think sometimes people that get caught up in these situations, maybe they don't even know that that's what they're doing. But maybe she made some points. And maybe I'm taking these things on board and thinking about it and reevaluating every single interaction I've ever had in my life. Just so I can, you know, know what the tea was and what the hell happened. But... My God. I'm still really thinking about the quirky thing. That, that, that shit hurt my feelings. Like I said, I, I don't even play the ukulele. I would never go to a cereal cafe. again with the same stranger, capturing the night before and the premonition that followed on dead evergreens that I keep under our pillows. I imagine a club where he is my only patron, spotlight, smoke from my halo, watching me whisper the man I love as he waits with his wine for me to return to his arms the way I always do, because I'm a simple chanteuse who knows some pretty songs and knows that she belongs with that same stranger who finds his way to my club, my dreams, and my bed. Some days it's like I don't know a single thing about him, except that my waist waits impatiently and with great angst for his fingertips, and I'll wait until my beauty fades, my voice vanishes, and my bed is a Habersham dust-covered disgrace for him if I must. Will I ever get sick of referencing Miss Havisham from Great Expectations? No. Um, I love her. I relate to her so deeply because I too am a dramatic person who would absolutely make everybody else suffer along with me if I got jilted at the altar. I would be full gown, in bed, crying very loudly on purpose so everyone could hear, cake dying somewhere else in the room, saggle playlist, full blast, lights off, couple of dramatic candles, and I would also be drinking lots of cider on a constant basis because sharing is caring, including suffering, am I right, ladies? Anyways, so I was thinking about um, about relationships, right? And about the idea of being in love and being devoted to someone and essentially placing like 
who you are and your happiness to someone else and giving that to them. And it's terrifying, but also very exhilarating. Um, And so I was just thinking about how sometimes even when you're so deeply in love with someone, you discover new things about them all the time. And it's like they constantly surprise you and you're learning so many new things. And it almost feels like for your whole life, that desire that you had for for love and for closeness, it's like you didn't realise at the time, but there was a part of you that knew it was them. And so you waited and you waited and it never felt quite right with anybody else because you were waiting for them. I had this dream. Um, it's like a two-part dream. Yeah, I, you know, this is my lockdown status currently. I have dreams that have, like, fucking cliffhangers now. That's brilliant for me and my mental health. Um, so it started... <laughs> for some reason, I was at my grandma's house. And... Um, it was my birthday... And I remember thinking in the dream, it's too soon to be your birthday. You just had a birthday like two months ago. What the fuck you mean it's your birthday? But then at the same time, I was like, no, 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 it's my birthday. Be nice. Be nice. And so then I get a text from my boyfriend and he says, I'm going to call you. And I'm like, oh, cool. So I answer the phone, it's him. And he says, I'm, I'm, I've got a... I'm, I'm sending you a text. And I'm like, why have you called me? No, why have you texted me to call me to text me? Make it make sense, damn it. Which is very unlike him because, you know, he's a Capricorn. So most of the things he does make sense. So that was another indication to me that it was a dream. Also, in the dream, he didn't type like he normally does. It was weird. It was like there was these two parts of me. Like one of them was just like critiquing the writing on the dream. Like you're writing these bitches out of character. This doesn't make sense. He wouldn't say that. She's not supposed to have a birthday yet. What is going on? Why are we at grandma's house? What is going on? Anyway, but then this other part of me was like, no, come on, feel the fantasy. We're in a dream. Leave it out. Be be quiet. Shh. So anyway, it continues. So I opened the text and it said, I want to break up. Now, after I woke up from this dream, I was very upset and I sort of had to keep comforting myself thinking he wouldn't text like that. Even if he was going to dump you by text, he wouldn't type it like that because he doesn't talk like that. Oh my God. And I had like a mini breakdown. Anyway, so this dream continues and I'm, I'm trying to get him to tell me why we have to break up. I'm like, whoa. Firstly, it's my birthday. What the fuck do you think you're playing at? This is not acceptable. It's my birthday. Everyone's supposed to be nice to me. You can't dump me on my birthday. What the fuck kind of fuck shit is that? Secondly, why? What did I do? What did you do? And it was this whole thing because he wouldn't tell me. And I'm like, can you, can you not be like this for like one second, please? And then, you know, the critical me in the dream was like, you see, this is out of character again. He wouldn't do this if he had a problem. He'd tell you. He 
he's a Capricorn. Come on, you know this. And the other part of me is like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but we're in a dream. What can I do? What can I do? Anyway, so it just continues. He won't tell me. And then I woke up. I was really fucking upset. I was, I was like crying and shit. And I fell back to sleep. And it picked up. It continued, right? So we're still at grandma's house. Although he's miraculously now at grandma's house too. And he still won't tell me. And I'm like, hmm, cute. And then suddenly, as I wrote, we're in this, we're in this club, right? And I'm, 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 I'm seeing the man I love and he's watching me and there's no one else there. Not even like the guy at the bar. You know, normally there's like, you know, the guy serving the drinks. He's not there either. And he's just watching me. And I'm just, I'm just doing this. And then halfway through, I break out into this like questioning monologue. Like, why did you, why did you dump me by text? What are we doing here? Why have you done this on my birthday? Why are you at my grandma's house? What is going on? And he, he's just sat there not answering any of my questions. And then I woke up again. And let me tell you, for that whole day, I was so mad at him. Even though I knew that he hadn't actually done anything and it was just a dream I had. Girl. And so I basically, I wrote that to kind of <laughs> reconcile with myself. Because I, could, I couldn't tell him, you know, um, I had this fucked up dream where you were really mean. Because, I mean, that's crazy talk. But I had to, like, figure it out and, and process it. So I wrote about it. And I wrote kind of like a, you know, what I saw it was trying to tell me. You know? Which is, maybe I'm a persistent, dramatic bitch. And it made me feel a little bit better, I'm not going to lie. Um, I just... I like that I had like a little critical side of myself in there though, like fact checking everything. I appreciated her. She kept me sane. What the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? Well, everyone really needs to stand up and say, okay, no, this is not politics in the normal British way. This is something darker and bleaker and it's got to stop. And must be achieved. We want Scotland to remain inside the EU and we want the UK to remain inside the EU. Labour is weak and divided and completely unable to offer any sort of opposition to the Tories. And I say, I say to all the doubters, dude, we are going to energise the country, we're going to get Brexit done. But the party that I need is an independent political party. Okay, so I would say the most talked about news this week, not necessarily the most important, but the thing that people talked about the most, um, Boris, uh, do you know, I was about to say Boris had a baby, but I mean, he didn't really put all that much effort in, you know, his partner had to do all the hard work, you know, carrying the baby, giving birth to the baby and so on and so forth. Um, but then again, would it really be Boris if someone else wasn't doing most of the work for him, but he took all the credit? Anyway, um, 
Shadiness aside, uh, yes, Carrie Simmons, his uh, fiance, partner, um, had a baby this week, Wednesday morning. It was a boy, if you're curious. Uh, we don't know what it's called yet. Um, congrats on that. Well done. Uh, hello to baby. I, I don't know how to react to people having kids. Some of my friends have kids and I'm just like, what the fuck? Cause I, I, you know, I'm still, I just, I, I don't feel like I'm at that point in adulthood yet. But anyway, uh, yes. Well, well done on the baby. I suppose there are some people, um, because he missed Prime Minister's questions because the baby came Wednesday morning. So he was at the hospital with Carrie Simmons. He was not, um, at Westminster doing Prime Minister's questions. So some people thought it was a big conspiracy and he had like engineered something to make the baby arrive on that specific date so that he wouldn't have to do Prime Minister's questions. And I'm gonna be real, that sounds a bit crazy. Um, I think, I couldn't understand why people would be suspicious because there are a lot of things that Boris Johnson does and it's very obvious that he's doing it to distract from something else or whatever. Uh, for example, there was a, a thing a while back, it was really cringe, uh, where it had been reported in a newspaper that Boris Johnson and Carrie Simmons could be heard loudly arguing and that she had been, you know, she seemed very distressed and upset and the police had been called. And then immediately after that, there were these really quite obviously posed paparazzi shots of Boris Johnson and Carrie Simmons in the papers. And it was like, bro, this is, this is quite clearly a distraction. Um, some people could argue that their announcement of the pregnancy was, you know, quite a manipulative distraction because um, they just announced it out of nowhere at a time when the government was dealing with a lot of bad press because of allegations of bullying by Priti Patel and things like that at the time and then suddenly it's you know reported everywhere Carrie Simmons is pregnant um and it turned out that she had been pregnant for a while um and obviously it's her body it's their baby she has no obligation to tell anyone if she doesn't want to um but it was very obviously quite convenient that they just decided to drop that news at a time when things were going very badly for him in terms of public relations. But anyway, I, my point is, I, I don't feel like the baby arriving on Wednesday when he had Prime Minister's questions, I don't think that was like a convenient conspiracy or whatever. I, I really don't. I think it's just a case of babies arrive when they want to arrive, you know? Um, so... <laughs> To be honest, I, I don't think, I don't think he was doing it to get out of Prime Minister's questions. I think it was just a coincidence. And it's not like the government got away completely unscathed at Prime Minister's questions because they were still held to account by Keir Starmer, um, Ian Blackford and a number of other figures in the opposition. So it, it's not like, you know, they got away with, with criticism. You know, they didn't get any any kind of criticism because they did it just you know Boris wasn't there but that doesn't really make a difference the perception of the government is still you know it could still be negative if you still watch that Prime Minister's question so I, I don't think it was this big 
conspiracy. I think it was just a coincidence that the baby happened to come on a Wednesday. Um, but anyway, yes, Boris, um, Boris is a dad again. Great. Um, <laughs> uh, Boris is also back at work. He, he gave a little speech at the start of the week, um, telling people that we are, as a country, working very hard. People will be in awe of our our success. I don't know what success he's talking about, but there we are. Um, and just sort of the same message we've had a lot recently, you know, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. Um, like I said, this, this government just seems very reliant on buzzwords, mantras, that kind of thing. I, I mean, it makes sense. Get Brexit done, won them the election. So I guess in their minds, this is what the public responds to. But I think people are starting to get sick of that as an idea. Um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with the old coronavirus. Um, speaking of coronavirus, everything seems to be connected to that these days. But um, Pretty Patel finally, finally showed up for questioning with the Home Affairs Select Committee. Uh, Priti Patel, of course, is the Home Secretary. She has been asked repeatedly to appear before the committee and kept making excuses and not going. Finally, she joined them via Zoom. And there is a moment from that that went viral in which she was asked how many people entering the UK have tested positive for COVID-19 or coronavirus. And she says she didn't know because apparently she had been advised that she shouldn't check. And so she didn't. Now, maybe she was, maybe she was advised not to check. That, that may be true. She may be telling the truth. But if you're not an idiot, right, and you happen to be in control of things like the UK's borders, right? And you have a little bit of you know, autonomy, surely you would say, okay, well, you're telling me that testing at the borders is stupid, but other countries are doing it and it's helping them. And it makes sense because then we can identify who has the coronavirus and we can get them the support and help they need to recover. And we can get them isolated so that they don't pass it to anyone else and they can get treatment if they need it. That to me makes sense. I don't, I don't feel like you should be in a position like Home Secretary. If someone says something to you like, oh, testing at the borders, don't bother. And you just don't even question it. You just say, yeah, okay then. She was, she was rambling on when she was asked about it by Yvette Cooper. She was just rambling on and on trying to justify why she had never even seemed to question this advice. It was, it, I mean... I I know that we're used to incompetence from Priti Patel, but she always bounces back, which is very frustrating. But Jesus, this is wild, even for her. Um, it was just, oh, Jesus, it was embarrassing and cringy. Speaking of embarrassing and cringy, Nigel Farage is back. Yes, he decided, fuck the lockdown rules, they don't apply to me. And he went down to a beach to film a little video complaining about migrants. 
um, because that's essential work. That's a proper reason to leave your house. Um, I just take it from someone who had the misfortune to have Nigel Farage as one of their MEPs for several years. He is a work shy, useless man whose only real talent is attacking other people to create controversy. And he attacks those people to distract from how little work he actually does in his life and how little talent and, and value he gives to society. He is not a particularly talented man. He does not have anything special about him that somebody else can't do. He, I just, I am waiting for the day he fucking disappears, but I don't think it's gonna happen. And I know I'm contributing to it by talking about him now, but I mean, I had to put up with him as one of my elected representatives for years, so I feel like I'm entitled. Oh, speaking of elected representatives, my God, I'm doing so great with the segues today. Um, <laughs> Rob Roberts, it's a fantastic name, uh, is an MP and he got a tweet from somebody um on on social media they said got any comment to make about the tweet you posted in early march comparing death rates in italy and uk and that the strategy was working apology would be a start now obviously they're referring to the fact that basically this mp tweeted the following italy population 60 million coronavirus cases 21,157 deaths 1,441 UK population, 66 million, coronavirus cases, 1,372, deaths, 35. Italy had their first confirmed case 24 hours before the UK. The strategy is working. Now, obviously, this there's a lot of problems with this tweet. Firstly, I mean, he's he's <laughs> it was very preemptive because it turned out that actually the strategy was not working for the UK and, and things went to shit very quickly and are continuing down that road of shit. Um, secondly, it very much feels like he's almost like bragging that, you know, oh, Italy, look at you with all your dead. Look at us, we've barely got any, ha ha ha. And, you know, that's pretty fucking crass, whichever way you look at it. And so this man... David Appleton asked him about it and Rob Roberts replied with, I apologise that you only got 65 followers in eight years. I don't cover Yorkshire. Bye. So he had no comment apparently um, on his rather callous, gross tweet that also turned out to be wrong. Um he decided to make fun of this guy for not having many followers, which is just really immature and weird. Um, and he also said he's not going to answer questions because this guy isn't from his constituency. And again, I'm saying... <laughs> MPs should not be allowed to have Twitter accounts unless they take a fucking course, because this is ridiculous. It just... It was so cringe and rude and just oh just shut the fuck up bro 
just shut the entire fuck up. <laughs> uh, there was digital prime minister's questions again this week. There were some MPs in the chamber, but a lot of them were video calling in. Um, and it was, it was kind of fun. There was a lot less technical fuck ups this week. I think they have been, you know, getting shit together over the weekend trying to figure it out there was a really awkward moment um <laughs> when a phone went off really loudly and so I think there are still a couple of like little issues to work out but they're getting there and that's cute oh god I forgot about this oh my god this is why I should write my notes like in the order that I'm instead of just the order I think about things just like the order I'm actually going to read them anyway so you remember Maria the MP that is also a nurse and decided that just because she was having a good time in terms of getting hold of PPE at the hospital she was working at, that all the other NHS workers who said that they were having problems were lying. Well, she's back. So Beth Rigby and Laura Kunzberg, two journalists, um, Laura works for the BBC and Beth works for Sky News. Um, they both tweeted once the news was was breaking they were, they tweeted that Carrie Simmons and Boris Johnson had had a baby the baby had been born right now they are journalists their job is to report the facts right we we don't follow them for their opinions their personal feelings we follow them for the facts right that that's what a journalist is for right well apparently not in Maria's world because she kicked off on Twitter and said, I think the word Laura and Beth are looking for is congratulations with like an eye rolling emoji. And it's like, girl, shut up. They are just reporting the facts. And, you know, they're trying to get the news out quickly because it's a breaking story. They're just reporting the facts like journalists are meant to do. If they want to say congratulations, they'll send them a card or some shit. Like... They're reporting the news, not writing on someone's Facebook wall or writing an Instagram comment. Like, what is this? This wild expectation that journalists should be fawning over the prime minister. Like, it would be inappropriate for journalists to do that, really. Because they're supposed to be impartial. They're supposed to be unbiased. They're supposed to be just giving people the news, that is their job. And it was just weird as fuck that an MP from the Conservative Party was attacking journalists for not gushing over the Prime Minister because of his big news. I, I just fucking weird. I, <laughs> I, I don't know what, what is going on with her. She has been... Just the last few weeks, she has just been showing her... Her cringe factor it's embarrassing you know nobody needs to be gushing over the prime minister just because you can get equipment doesn't mean everyone else can just be quiet girl be quiet um oh the domestic violence bill was back at westminster um you can find a lot of the debates online uh on youtube on the the parliament youtube channel on iplayer um, and the Parliament Live website. Uh, there's some really great speeches. Um, there's a really beautiful one from Mark Fletcher on how witnessing domestic violence impacts on children um, that I think was really important. So you should check some of those out. It's uh, For me, it's one of the most important things that Parliament is working on. I think it's going to protect a lot of people. 
Um, I would have preferred if it could have gone through a lot sooner because obviously domestic violence victims are desperately in need of support now, especially at a point when the country's in lockdown and, you know, there are men and women across the country who are vulnerable, potentially trapped in a house with their abuser. And so that extra support would be helpful, but, you know we are where we are um so hopefully we can get that through get it done get that in place so that victims can escape those situations because it is one of the most important things that we can do really as a country so it was it was actually really great to see people from all sides of the house putting aside their differences and just working together on that it was it was very moving and it was quite a nice moment which we haven't had for a while so shout out to them and now for something fucking terrible and stupid um <laughs> Tobias Elwood has argued that the Red Arrows should perform flyovers of British cities during the Thursday night clap for the NHS to raise national morale Firstly, it would appear this clap for the NHS thing is a continuing um, thing. I thought it was cute at first, but now to be honest, it feels like... It feels like something people do for themselves more than other people. And it also feels like it is slipping dangerously into social shaming. Uh, there was a story that went viral a couple of weeks ago about a, a mum. And she had been at home with her kid... Um, all day she was absolutely exhausted um, because I mean I, I personally I don't have kids so I don't know the experience but I imagine it is quite tiring looking after a child all day as well as you know doing all the other things you have to do working from home taking care of the house um, and also just dealing with the mental anguish of being locked in um, and so she fell asleep and so she wasn't awake to do the the Thursday night clap for the NHS and she was socially shamed by her neighbours and, and she talked about it on mum's net and it got picked up by a couple of papers and, and and I don't think she's the only person that's happened to I think you know we've seen a lot of stories like that as well um, on social media and it's um, yeah anyway um, <laughs> I just and I saw an interesting point. There was a really good panorama this week. If, you, if you're in the UK, you should check it out on iPlayer. If you're outside of the UK, I can't really tell you how to watch it because I think that's illegal. Um, but I'm sure if you look some places, you could find it. Anyway, and the programme was about um, whether the government had failed to prepare the NHS in terms of getting stocks of personal protective equipment, um, making sure that procedures were in place to protect staff in the event of a pandemic. Um, and there was testimony from staff talking about their experiences. Um, and one of the things that the host said that really stuck with me, because they were showing footage of some of the Thursday night clap for the NHS thing. And he said that some staff were worried that the clapping for the NHS was beginning to become a problem 
because it kind of gave license for the for the government to continue failing NHS workers. If you push the image of heroism on medical staff, who yes, chose to do a job that a lot of people would rather not do, um, or couldn't do. I mean, I, I could never be a nurse or a doctor or a paramedic or even like just anything. I, I, I genuinely, I don't think I have it in me. I, <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't think I could do it on an emotional level. I don't think I could do the long hours. I, I'm not cut out for that kind of work, you know? However, just because that's a job I'm not capable of doing, right? That doesn't mean that a person that is capable of doing it is superhuman or has signed up for something like going into their job without the equipment that they need um, or has signed up to go into their job at the risk of death. Um, so, you know, what he was basically saying was the whole clap for the NHS and the narrative that, you know, NHS workers are angels and heroes and stuff like that kind of gave the government license to continue failing them because it's creating this narrative of they're heroes because they go in and they risk their lives, but they shouldn't be risking their lives. They, they should have the equipment they need. They should have a safe work environment. It shouldn't be the case that, you know, over a hundred people, I think it is now, who've worked for the NHS, working for the NHS, have died. That shouldn't be the case. It it shouldn't happen because they, they shouldn't be in a position where they are where they are getting sick and dying. That that's not how this is supposed to work. And so by continuing to label them heroes, angels, clapping for them, uh, putting up signs in, in the window are we as the public becoming desensitized to what is happening to them and how they're being failed? And I thought that was a really interesting point. And I think this whole idea, I know I know, I went around the houses to get to this point, but I think this idea of we should get the red arrows to do flyovers for them, I think that's that's also playing into it, you know? They don't want fucking planes flying over their houses. They want protective equipment they want safe workplaces they want good wages and you know they're not getting those things but we're throwing other gestures at them like would you like some applause would you like some planes would you like a little drawing of you calling you a hero but those things are not they're not gonna help them in the long run they might not even help them in the short term. They're not going to bring their colleagues back that they have lost. They're not going to help them to recover from coronavirus if they get it. You know, you can't clap at a nurse who's got coronavirus and she's magically healed. You you can't fly the red you know the red arrows over a doctor who's got coronavirus and he's magically healed. You you can't give a you know a, I mean the little rainbow drawings are cute but you can't give one of those to a porter who's caught coronavirus at work, and magically they're fine, because life doesn't work like that and you don't need to be a doctor to know that that's just not realistic, um, so I you know, I am beginning to worry that there is this narrative we can do these 
small little things for healthcare workers and that will be enough. We can placate them. And I don't think we should be allowing them to be placated. We, we shouldn't. Um, because, you know, if if we, the public, are not willing to fight for NHS workers, social care workers, then what the fuck is the point? You know, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so apparently we should be fucking flying planes for them and shit instead of paying them properly and making sure they have safe equipment. That's a thing. Um, finally, uh, quite a lot of MPs, 110 MPs and peers to be exact, have signed a letter calling on the UK government to introduce a universal basic income. And the government said no, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, Tory's going to Tory, I guess. I feel like a universal basic income would be good. Um, a lot of the schemes that we have in place to help people financially during the coronavirus are not reaching everybody. There are people slipping through the net. Um, a universal base, basic income could solve that problem. Um, but the government does not seem keen on doing it. So, and they have a majority, so they don't have to, which is a, a massive shame. But um, I think it would be good. I think it would be good for public morale. I think it would be good for the economy. People will have more money in their pockets. I think it would be good in terms of health because... Let me tell you from experience, being poor is stressful. Stress affects your health. As I, I just, maybe I'm just being a lefty, you know, loony guardian reader, you know, sort of person. But I just, I, I can't really see a downside to a universal basic income, really. I just, I don't. I, I think it is a good idea. I... I am angry that the government won't even really consider it. But at the same time, I'm not surprised because this is not my first rodeo and this is not my first Conservative government. So what are you going to do? The rain outside is sympathetic, pressing against the window in an attempt to make me feel less alone. But she just shines a light on an empty side of the bed. Unread messages, tear-stained pages of my diary. The rain tries her best and for a moment we are the same. I press my fingers to the glass but I cannot feel anymore and there is no warmth to be found from temporary empathy. I let you know that I'm awake just in case I'd like some further disappointment mid-morning crying into burnt toast that it's been five days and I am slowly unravelling though I robotically request the same every day just a little acknowledgement that you are not dead and that you still love me just as a little treat you told me about the once before in the asylum of your affections now they surround me at night as I collapse and awaken again and again to torture a gaslit girl gang 
I can't tell if they haunt me for revenge or for pity, or just to tell me that nobody makes it out alive. I try to remember that I was alive before you, and that the rain was not a sister, but just a sound, a sequence of events that I could ignore, but when I hear her call, and I don't hear yours, I don't know if I'll ever be alive again. One thing I've noticed in my life as an adult is sometimes when you start a relationship, um, now I have to say, I do find that this happens more with men than with women. I'm sure that there are some women that do it too, but I've noticed it more from men. Um, and when you start talking and you start getting to know them and they will give you like a long fucking list of all their crazy exes and they'll give you all these stories about why they're super crazy and they're, you know, insane and whatever. And then as the relationship goes on, you start to think, you know what, maybe those girls weren't crazy, maybe they had a point. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you start to question whether those people were crazy or not, right? That is something I, I notice a lot. Often when somebody repeatedly talks about how all their exes were crazy um, and they were insane and, and, you know, all that, it tends to be the case that actually they weren't. It's just the person was not very nice to them. And so they're trying to hide that by saying, oh, they're crazy. They're fucked up they're they're a terrible person they're the bad person not me and I just I've always found that kind of interesting and it's an experience I've had a lot myself um you know when I'm talking to someone and I'm trying to get to know them and they have this you know this storied history where they're talking about all of these crazy girls and I'm thinking isn't that interesting Yet another man who has a long list of women who are apparently insane. What a strange coincidence. As usual, I saw something on Twitter that annoyed me, and so I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> but at least this time, it's something that I know about, and it's relevant to my life. Um, so, there was a musician, and she posted a link to her Bandcamp page. Um, because she's, she's losing out on live performance revenue at the moment, as are pretty much all performing artists. Um, and she invited her audience, if they wanted to, to buy an album through there so that she could make up some of the money that she's losing. Um, because when, when you create stuff, 
the money that you make not only goes into things like living costs and just the price of being alive, but also creating new content. Um, so she was inviting her audience, if they wanted to, to help her out to, you know, buy an album or buy a single or whatever, you know, whatever they want to do, or buy some merch. She wasn't forcing anyone. She wasn't guilt tripping anybody or making anyone feel bad. She was just saying, if you want to, this would help me. Which I think, I think that's fair enough. And some guy who clearly thought he was really fucking clever replied saying, get a real job. Which is very cute. Because I don't think there is anybody, especially in places like the UK, I don't think there's anybody who can go, you know, a whole week or even a whole day and honestly say that they have not consumed some kind of creative media, whether that is books, music, paintings, radio, podcasts, TV, film, um, you know, something like that. And yet when it comes to the creatives that make those things, their attitude is always, it's not a real job. You know, you should go and do something else. I've talked about um, before on this podcast, I've talked about the prevalence, especially in British media, of very rich, very posh people um, and how a lot of people in the public will say that they want more diversity in the media. They don't want to be hearing the same stories and opinions of rich people and posh people. And yet, you know, there's also this attitude that creatives shouldn't ever look at, you know, being a bit creative in terms of raising revenue so that they can continue the work that they do. There is this almost social shaming of creatives who are trying to make money from the work that they do because the world demands art but the world also seems to think it just appears out of thin air and that real people don't have to be present for it to exist um and that's that's just not realistic it's just not i mean i think maybe if some people spent time with creatives you know and you know spent a day with them they would realize the hard work that goes into these projects the money that goes into these projects and things like that. But, you know, a lot, a lot of people who have these kinds of criticisms, they're not willing to do that because it would take away their little narrative of, oh, spoiled, entitled little bitches, putting out little bits of work, little bits of music or books or whatever. Oh, get a real job. It would take that narrative away from them because they would have to accept that creating things is a real job it just happens to be one that is very very shittily paid unless you are fortunate enough to 
to be in a position where somebody is helping you in a major way, which for a lot of people, that is not the case. Um, so I just, I was like, can you come up with something else? Get a real job, really, sweetie? Okay. But I'm realistically, you know, a lot of the revenue streams that creatives had are gone. Um, especially now. So live performance is just gone, basically. That's out of the fucking window. It's not an option. Um, one of the other things with live performances is you tend to sell a lot of things like merch at live performances. So that takes a hit as well. Um, things like digital download sales and even physical sales of of content so you know cd singles uh, you know physical books that kind of stuff is also down um because digital stuff became available and it became easier quicker cheaper for people to buy it online but then things like that went down so talking specifically music for a sec physical album sales single sales went down because digital stuff became available and then digital album and single sales went down because streaming became available and i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and tell people they shouldn't use streaming services i'm not gonna say that because i do very much understand why the public do um you know the option of paying 9.99 a month to be able to listen to whatever you want whenever you want is obviously far better than having to individually buy everything um and additionally the cost of living has risen across the world and in most places wages have not gone with that so wages are still far below where they should be for a lot of people and so they a lot of people can't afford the luxury of of buying individual singles or individual albums whenever they want to listen to something um so streaming is a better option and i do understand that a hundred percent i do um but realistically streaming is not a great money maker for anyone really <laughs> um it is a very small amount of money that you get per stream. You have to make, you have to get a lot of streams to get even close to the same revenue that you would get from just one digital download. So for creatives, streaming was not great um, in terms of revenue. And so a lot of um, artists have to look at other options as well to try and make up for what they lose because of the popularity of streaming. Um, and that becomes difficult when they are attacked for that. But the the reality is, if you don't want a media that is just full of rich people or if you want media at all you have to accept that 
people have to be able to adapt and figure out new ways to support themselves so they can keep creating things. Nobody is forcing you to buy rather than stream. Nobody is forcing you to contribute to somebody's crowdfunder or, you know, donation platform if you don't want to. If you're not interested in supporting somebody, you could just keep that to yourself. You don't have to say and you don't have to be rude about it and you don't have to purposefully try to demoralise somebody who is just trying to make a living, you know? <laughs> um, I just, I don't understand the logic of it. I don't, I don't get it. It's like, if you're not interested, okay, move on. Do something with your life that makes you happy. I, I mean, maybe I'm biased because... As somebody that, that does creative stuff and I, you know, I, I've had to get creative in terms of revenue myself, you know, I, um, it's, it's a fine balance really because I, I want to make what I do accessible where I can because I remember when I was growing up and there was, you know, for example, a lot of bands that I wanted to support. Um, but I didn't have the money to buy all of their CDs. Sometimes I even struggled to get the money to buy one CD. Um, you know, I I couldn't go and see a lot of the people I wanted to see go and perform live because the tickets were too expensive. Um, I couldn't buy merch from people I liked because it was too expensive. So... The thing I've always kept in mind is wanting to keep things as accessible as possible because I remember very clearly and very painfully what it was like to to want to support someone and to, to also to want to have access to the, the things that they do and the things that they make and finding it difficult because it was it was expensive. And so that's something I've always kept in mind. Um, so this show is free. It's always going to be free. I tried to keep advertising minimal because I know that people find it annoying. However, advertising is a revenue stream that I have available to me. So it's finding that balance between keeping the show free and accessible, being able to keep advertisers happy, but also being able to keep listeners happy so that they're not upset by a huge amount of ads, right? Um, in terms of, you know, my website, which is full of free content, obviously, I you know, I, I want to keep that content free. I want people to be able to, you know, look at it whenever they want, watch the videos, read the stuff I've put up there, you know, download the content I've put up there for people to have access to. But running a website is not free. So, you know, there's there's costs every year that come into that. And so again, you know, in terms of the website, I go with advertising. But again, it's trying to keep it minimal so that people have a good experience using the website and they're not annoyed by constant ads that they see. Um, so it's, like I said, it's a balance. Um, in terms of, you know crowdfunding I guess would be the right term to use um I have I have Patreon 
I'm still not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I feel like we're past the point where we need to care about that. Um, and, you know, obviously I try and make sure that people who support me through that, that platform get something back from that. Um, you know, and additionally stuff like when people donate one-off stuff, you know, through PayPal or Cash App or whatever, I want to make sure they get something back from that because I don't want for them to feel like they're just throwing money at me. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, that money goes towards creating more content, but I, I, you know, I want them to feel appreciated. I don't want them to feel like I'm just taking their money and running, you know? <laughs> so, um, but that's difficult because sometimes I've had people say, you know, but it's, it's not fair because they're getting extra stuff because they can afford to pay for it. And I understand that. I really do, 100%. And I'm trying to work that out and I'm trying to make everything as fair as possible. But it's a difficult thing. Because without, without these solutions to try and support what I do, I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, I don't have rich parents you know I I love my parents but gosh it would be nice if they were rich um, but you know I don't have rich parents to fall back on to help me um to create my stuff so that's that's one thing out of the window um I don't have you know I mean a lot of people say you know there's creative funding available there's arts funding available well I don't know if you've ever tried applying for that. <laughs> I have several times. Um, and it, it can be a challenge. It's very competitive. Um, and not to throw shade, but I'm going to throw shade. Quite a lot of it goes to people that don't actually need it because it doesn't tend to be means tested. So sometimes it goes to people that have already got money. They just don't want to spend it. Um, anyway, um, so, you know, that's not really a real solution because there's only so much in it often does not get to the people that need it so <clears throat> yeah um but you know people they get by as they can and if you don't if you don't want to be part of that you don't have to but you don't need to be a dick about it basically and you you know you don't need to minimise what they do and say, I'll oh, get a real job. Well, creatives are paying tax. They're contributing to the economy. I, they're, they're working long hours. That that sounds like a fucking job to me, son. Like, I, I'm just saying. You know, and obviously it gets even harder to do this kind of work during this kind of time but this is a time when people need art more than ever because there is a good portion of the world that is just locked at home basically and they're bored and they're you know they're feeling down they need something to distract them they need something to fill their days how do you think all those shows on netflix came into existence they didn't just appear out of nowhere 
creatives made those shows because creative work is real work. How do you think all those albums got on Spotify and Apple Music? Creatives made them, you know? How do you think, you know, the radio shows and the podcasts that you're binge listening to got on the airwaves at all? Think about it. There we go. So I just, I guess my point is, it would be cute if people could be respectful of the creatives whose work seems even more necessary now than it ever has before. Because you'll miss us when we're gone. And even if you can't or or don't want to contribute financially, just the morale is helpful, you know? You don't even have to say anything nice. You could just not say anything if you don't have a nice thing to say. And that is a good contribution, you know? Even if you don't want to give money or awareness or whatever, just not throwing out your little bitchy comment that's a contribution that's you helping so yeah maybe try that okay i can't sleep and i saw this thing on twitter i thought it'd be fun to do i mean maybe it feels a bit redundant because we have hours and hours and hours of my voice at this point, so you should pretty much know how I pronounce things. But nevertheless, it's called the Accent Challenge and you read things. There used to be stuff like this on Tumblr, and I used to do them a lot, because I'm a narcissist. Anyway, so the first part is you have to pronounce the following words. So, both, Britain, Oasis, Hair, Grey, Weird, Downstairs... Nightmare, probably. Theatre, root, both. Twitter, fire, again, aren't. That's not very exciting, but nevertheless. Um, Say the following phrases. Bloody hell. Down to the local. Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the pub. I love that for him. Anyway. Um, what do you call the liquid you mix in with water to make a drink? Squash. I I don't think there's another word for it, to be honest. I think maybe, like, Tories call it, like, cordial or something. But, you know, I'm not a Tory, obviously. Like, you know, not to be all Alfie days about it, but... Uh, what do you call your meal times? Breakfast, dinner and tea? Um, which is weird. I I didn't realise it was weird to do that because I live in the south and apparently no one says that here. Um, but a lot of my family are from the north, so I'm I'm I have a southern accent, but I apparently say a lot of northern things, and that's weird. But anyway, you put bacon. No, I wouldn't. Or anything of your choice in bread, what's the result called? Well, it's a sandwich, but I wouldn't put bacon in it because I I, I don't eat bacon and I never have. Um, what would I put in a sandwich? Um, jam, maybe? Marmalade? Mm. Oh, now I'm thinking about marmalade sandwiches. And I'm thinking about how I want to watch Paddington too. God, 
robbed of an Oscar. Anyway, last question. How would you tell your parents you're going to the shop and ask them if they wanted something? Just, you know, I'm going to the shop to say I want anything. Um, but, I mean, you know, it'd be kind of weird if I was going to the shop and my parents were just there because, you know, it'd just be a bit like, oh, how did you get here? You've broken into my house. But, um, but I'd, I'd still offer to get them something at the shop because, you know, I'm a nice person. I was raised right. Thank you for listening to Sincerely Jennifer with me, Jennifer Wan. If you want to find more of my work, you can on my website, jenniferwan.com, or you can find me on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, SoundCloud, and pretty much every social media website ever with the username Miss J Squared. Thank you to my amazing top tier patron supporters. Amanda, Kylie, Melissa, Anna, Sam, Katie, Christina, Josie, Gabriella, David, Eleanor, Alicia, Emily, Andy and Tyler. I'll see you next time.